Quite seriously, I love these guys. You have got very, very special people here, full of the Holy Ghost and uh, anointed. And what you're building in a couple of years here is astonishing. You are going to build a great church. Your leaders, I love all of you leaders. We had a lot of fun. I hung all my underwear out to dry yesterday. I thought, why am I, tell- why am I telling them all these stories? It was ridiculous. I was telling you all sorts of stuff. I'm glad it's not on, it's not on tape, is it? It's not, it's not, oh, God. Well, don't let that out. I'll be ruined. Any, any shred left of a reputation is gone. But I've enjoyed the leaders. There's strength of leadership here. There's maturity in a very quick time. It's, and you're going to do great things. Your, your pastors are big people with a big anointing, and it's going to build a big church around them. And you guys are anointed, and you're all fantastic, and I love you all. And you guys are especially brilliant, and I've fallen madly in love with little Elise. She and I are like that. Just like that. Nora and I, she just goes to sleep when I'm near her. She just dozes off. Leah's been sharing fantastic stuff, and Alwyn and I are great mates. I love you too, and the other two littlies, the four of you. You're very special. We've got a great friendship, and uh, we're going to do some interesting stuff together with this church for the glory of God. Stay, stay tuned. And I've been sharing all this heavy stuff the last couple of days. Now I'm just going to preach a very light message about basket weaving in Fiji. <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. I want to talk about your authority in Christ and how to live in it and how to move in it, how to operate in it. And uh, I'm going to preach short. I'm going to try to, which is for an evangelist is a hard job. But um, let's just see what we can do. Romans 5, 7, 10. Father, thank you now. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, take over. I pray I am totally dependent upon you. Totally. We'll give Jesus every bit of glory. We'll just stand back and watch you work. It's yours. Amen. Amen. Everybody said? Amen. And shouted? Amen. And screamed out? Amen. And roared and bellowed? And went ballistic. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach a very quiet message today. Talking about the benevolence of our great God. Let us not get overexcited. Let us remain very solemn in the very presence of God himself. Let us not even rustle paper. I went to a church like that. It was the first church of the Frigidaire where many are cold and a few are frozen. Uh, I can get sidetracked this morning. Don't even worry about that. Uh, We used to sit in church and all the women wore hats. It was a sign you're under submission to your husband. and And the women had hats, but they were weird hats. They'd have bowls of fruit and they'd have bird cages and and I, I was just a kid and I'd sit in church looking around this in church and gee it was boring the one I went to it was boring first sermon ever first service I ever went to at, at the church I went to in South Australia was 
Um, I knew it would be a cold service because a polar bear handed me the hymn book. Uh, it was the first church of the Frigidaire where many are cold and a few are frozen. But I, I was an old Methodist. Now I'm a Methodcostal. But that's nothing to do with this message. And I've got myself sidetracked. And Jesus, help me please to get on track. I love being a Christian. I found you can enjoy being a Christian. I enjoy being a Christian. How many, how many, how many love being saved? Aren't you glad you're saved? What, what, what would you be? How would you be not being saved in this crazy world right now? I mean, you can get around the world and feel great when the world's going completely mental. The world is actually at a point where if it was a human being, it would be locked up in a straitjacket. Politically, we should lock up the world. The world has gone stark raving mad and we're there in the middle at peace. Like, isn't this wonderful? We're born to rule and reign in life. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 17, if through one man's sin, death reigned by one, how much more shall we who have received the gift of righteousness reign as kings in life by one Christ Jesus? Reign in life by one Christ Jesus. I have learned in 44 years of ministry, I was preaching flat out 10 years before Alwyn was this old. I'd already been preaching 43 years when he was very similar to Nora. It's scary, isn't it? I can't believe you were once that size. <laughs> Even more, I can't believe that I was once that size. I was seven pound when I was born, seven pound. Someone said the other day, how would you like to lose 10 pound of ugly fat? I said, absolutely. They said, cut your head off. So, <laughs> Bible says... And I'm really off track today, trust me. I, I am trying to be deadly serious, but there's a wicked... I feel like the anointing of my son's come on me, and that's a problem. <laughs> a David Hall anointing. He got that from me, but I've grown out of it. That wickedness. The Bible says we are reigning in life. The word basileuo means to rule with kingly authority in our lives. God does not want us to be the tail... He wants us to be the head, above only and never below. You and I have been born to rule and reign and live in total dominion. Everywhere Jesus went, he, he operated in dominion. Everywhere he went, people marveled and they said, what word is this that he speaks? For with authority he speaks, and the demons are subject and they come out. What word is this? For with authority he speaks, not as the scribes and Pharisees. There was something about his words that were beyond just tickling the eardrums. The words went into every realm. The words went into every dimension. And people said in amazement. In fact, the word that's used there, they're out of their mind. Ek pleso was the word. They're amazed. Ek pleso. Ek. Out of. Out of their mind blown away by the authority that he carried. There was something, and there's a difference between words and authority. He spoke with authority. People said to him, they, they, they came to him, and we, we certainly know that the Pharisees wondered where he got the authority. They said, from whence did you get this authority? They knew that he was operating in a dimension that they didn't understand.
They knew that he was moving. See, the doctors of the law knew the word, and they were people were amazed at the doctors of the law because they knew the word so well. But when they spoke, there was something missing in the words. They did not come with strength and force and impact in the spirit realm. And they came and they said, by what authority are you speaking? So the Pharisees were aware that he was operating out of another realm. And he said, I'll ask you a question. Baptism of John, was it from God or was it from man? And the Pharisees knew that if they said it's from God, he would have said, why didn't you listen? And if it was from man, the people would have picked up stones and stoned them as blasphemers because they believed in what John had done. And so they said, well, we're not sure. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I operate. The disciples recognized that he operated in a dimension of authority that was very supernatural. When he stood on the front of that boat, in, the Bible says that the wind was a, a violent tempest blast. That is a violent wind. That's a, that's a hurricane, a mini hurricane, cyclone going on. And he stood up there and he spoke to the wind and said, Be still, and the wind ceased, and the waves became calm. And they said, What manner of man is this? That when he speaks, even the wind and the waves are subject to his words. The centurion recognized. I was going to preach on the centurion then I was going to preach on something else, and then I decided on the way this morning to preach on something else. The centurion came to him, hardened centurion, fell on his face. Kurios, sovereign master, put himself in line for the death penalty by declaring Jesus to be sovereign. Declared, I'm not willing to even have you come under my roof. And for a Roman, back then, there were eight classes in society of Roman, Roman society, the centurion was in the second rank and Jesus was in rank eight. And he said to him, I'm not willing, I'm not worthy to even come under your roof, but just simply saying a word. Just saying a word. I told him a man set in a place of authority, just say in a word. And Jesus marveled. The centurion recognized that he was a man set, and I haven't got time to open that up and talk about the Roman structure and the legion and so on, but he was a man set in position at the front of his century, the front left side of 80 men. It was 100 prior to the first century, and from that position, he was the linchpin of the Roman army, taking orders and distributing orders. He knew that when an order came, he spoke that order. It was delivered to the men, and they moved the... Uh, they moved the legions almost like choreography with such precision that it was like a, uh, like something, I can't remember something, but like, <laughs> you understand. <laughs> Trying to find the right words there. Couldn't find them. I'm 71 in two weeks, and when you hit 70, certain things go wrong. Um, three major things go wrong. First thing is you start to forget things, and I can't remember the other two. Jesus exercised dominion in every realm. How many have ever read the book of John? Three. Well, it's fantastic. You do. 
It's made my day. Even the pastor hasn't read John. <laughs> he just said, well, I'm thinking about it soon. Oh, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> it's not really true. Book of John, there's seven major miracles. I, I think there's actually eight because the one at the end is that great catch of fish. But seven, seven times Jesus demonstrated dominion in one realm or the other. The very first miracle is in John chapter 2, and the Bible says that there Jesus spoke the word, and, and uh, he said, go and get something like about 62-gallon containers, which were used for um, ceremonial washing. And uh, he said, fill them with water. And Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it, which is one of the best pieces of advice you'll get in the Bible. And uh, they filled the containers, and they put the ladles in, and as they poured it out, it went from H2O to wine and uh, so carbon atoms came from nowhere and uh, a little electron started doing all sorts of funny things and neutrons and all that stuff at school that we studied that I can't remember but it was all like things <laughs> so, in his, so in his very first miracle he demonstrated that he was master over the molecular structure that means he's master over the biological structure, the molecular structure, everything physical he is sovereign master over. And his word was in dominion over every physical thing, the physical realm. How many know that that thing's hollow? If you study, and I'm going to just be scientific for a moment. They say that, now who's, who's a scientist here? Anyone into science heavily? Lightly, moderately? All right. You take the neutron proton and then the little electron that spins around it. In actual fact, if the neutron proton is the size of a pinhead, the electron would be spinning as far away as the end of a football field. Correct? And if this is made up of these little things with a thing out there, that's hollow. Let me hit someone on the head with it, see if it... <laughs> I, I'm thinking of doing a little bit of a expounding on some thoughts on quantum physics, but <laughs> time doesn't permit. Jesus demonstrated in the first miracle in John that he's master over the molecular structure. If we understand and we are operating under his authority, that says today we're an authority over molecular structure. That means in actual fact, what is a building made of? Molecules, atoms, electrons, neutrons and bricks. <laughs> that means that we can begin to speak a building into being. We can begin to... We can begin to speak that if, if we are in authority in the molecular realm, we, I'm just helping the pastor, we, we are in a position to begin speaking into, into being the new building with every facility and everything you need. You need to read the book of John. The only reason I'll pick on Pastor Alwyn now is I've got the microphone. He had the, cha he had the chance earlier. I'm a, uh, 
I feel very mischievous. How many, how many like to just like church? All right, move on, Tim. Stop messing around. Okay, so chapter 4, we have the story of the nobleman. The nobleman came to Jesus. His son was critically ill. Jesus said, go thy way, thy son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken, which is an incredible part of living in faith. And when he got home, he realized halfway, he said, they said, He's, your son's fine. And he recognized that Jesus was in total dominion in the realm of space and time. But here's the truth. As Christians, we are ruling and reigning in the same dominion. We forget that we are baptized in the Holy Ghost, brought into a place of authority, set under his power, filled with his power, and given the authority of his name to do what? To rule and reign, which means that we have authority over matter and we have authority over disease. We have authority over biological systems. We have authority in the spirit realm over space and time to change circumstances. That's very good preaching, Pastor Owen. You pleased with that? Are you taking notes? Get out of Instagram. No, he's not. No, he's not. No, no, he's not. He's not. I'm teasing him. I'm pe- I've just chosen this meeting to terrorize your pastor because I love him. No, he's taking notes, copious notes. He's going to preach all this next week. <laughs> the next miracle is in John 5, wasn't it? At the uh, Bethesda, the pool. He demonstrated there that he's the one that stirs the waters of faith for people to dive into. He's the one by his, his word stirs the dimension of faith and says, dive in to the miraculous. And then we go into John 6, I believe. I'm preaching really by the seat of my trousers this morning. I had a beautifully prepared sermon. And I sat in the back room there looking very seriously at the mango and trying to decide whether to write a sermon out or eat the mango. And the grace of God constrained me and I wrote this long sermon. This is in the car. I felt like the one I wanted to preach, just fantastic sermon. I mean, you would have gone out of here and went, that man is so eloquent. He makes... uh... John 6, Jesus multiplied. He walked on water and demonstrated that he is in dominion even over the laws of gravity. He demonstrated that he is master over the laws that he himself put into operation. I remember praying up in New Guinea to turn the rain around that was going to destroy our, our meeting we're crying out to God, and it never should have happened, but the wind changed, and we're looking out, the, we're looking out of it, the window of the hotel, a whole lot of us crying out to God, and I remember a rainbow came down right on the water where we were looking, and the wind changed, and we had a massive crusade meeting that should have been washed out that night, and the stories, one of my friends was driving through New South Wales, and with his family and they came around a corner and a semi-trailer jackknifed across the road. There was nowhere to go. They drove straight through it and out the side and kept, out, right, right through it and kept driving 
they passed through it. And that guy's an engineer and one of the most men of integrity that I know. It's a guy called Harry Leesmond, um, who was used of God for a great revival move in Estonia. He told that story. And so in chapter, where are we up to? Chapter 9, we are. Chapter 9, we have the story there of the blind man. And Jesus came along and there was the man blind from birth and Jesus got down, spat on the ground and he made mud. He made some mud and he stuck it into the eyes of this man, which was probably empty sockets. And I looked at that and I thought, why would he spit and make mud? Well, that guy would have been spat on every day and dust kicked in his face. And every day he would have cleaned off the mud on his face as a curse. But Jesus put it in his eyes as a blessing. And he demonstrated a couple of things. Number one, he demonstrated that he could still make, take clay and make eyes. The other thing is, you say, well, what about when Jesus spat on a guy's tongue, spat, spitting, the spitting ministry. I'm, I'm going to work on it today. Come here, sister. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever, thought, you ever thought when the spittle of Jesus went into those guys' eyes, if they're going to take your DNA, they take a swap, get your spit. It's useful stuff, spit. Where would we be without spit? You ever get a really dry mouth and you go, oh, I wish I had some spit. <laughs> you know that that guy had the very DNA of Jesus in his eyes. Then we jump to chapter 11. There was a dead man called Lazarus. And Jesus stood up at the entrance of the tomb. And Lazarus come forth. He came fifth and won a silver spoon. No, he, that's not true. Lazarus come forth. And out came Lazarus in his grave clothes. Been dead for three days. The Jews believed that it wasn't until after three days that the body, that, that person was truly dead. The spirit hung around for three days. So he had to wait. So the Jews knew that he was truly dead. But Jesus demonstrated his dominion over death. He demonstrated his dominion over demons, over death, over gravity, over the molecular structure, over time, over every area. And God wants you and I to live in dominion. How many believe that, that he wants us to live in dominion? And so right through the scriptures, he's told us, and I've got to move, I've got seven minutes, 14 to finish this, and then we're going to go for it. Is that fair enough? Go with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. My, it's not so good in my Bible, Ephesians 2. It's uh, shredded. I'll do my best. I'll do my best under pressure. If I can find it, it says this. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sin. I want you to look for just a moment at the end of Ephesians 1. The scripture says that Jesus, three things happened to him. He was quickened, quickened from the dead by a mighty action of power. The Bible says, according to the working of his mighty power, God's mighty power, and we talked about those words on Friday night, kratos and ischus, dominion and forceful pushing forward in authority, the Bible says Jesus was quickened from the dead. The Bible says here, you hath he quickened. 
He was quickened physically by the very same mighty power you have been quickened spiritually. And the Bible says that we have been quickened. He was quickened and he was raised and he was seated. Quickened from the dead, raised and elevated above every situation back into his original place and seated again at the right hand of the Father in all authority, all power, in dominion. Once again, back in that place he had operated for that period of 33 years, his time of three years ministry, he operated, he emptied himself, his eternal glory. If he'd come in the fullness of his power, people would have dropped dead on every side. They couldn't have stood in the glory of his presence. So he emptied himself and took the form of a man. All the fullness of the Godhead was in him bodily. And up there on the mountain, when the disciples looked up and saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw that glory. But now he's quickened, raised back, elevated above, far above principalities, powers, authorities, world rulers, and seated back on the throne of eternal dominion and power. But have you ever seen in Ephesians 2, it says, and you hath he quickened. And the Bible says he's not only quickened you, but he's quickened you together with Christ into a living relationship where you are joined and you are one spirit with him, where you're joint heirs with him. You're actually, Christ becomes, Christ in you, the hope of glory, quickened and joined together in an, in an amazing union. Christ in you. So even contemplate that you're a joint heir with him by whom the universe was, was established, by whom the world came into being, by whom all things consist. And you have been quickened together with him, joined together with him in one spirit and raised together. Where have you and I been raised? Far above all principality, rule and dominion. Raised out of sin, raised out of fear, raised out of doubt, raised out of the pain of the devil, raised, elevated far above and then where are we today he says and we have been seated together with him where are we seated in heavenly places where is it the throne room of God far above all rule principality power and dominion and every name that's ever been named you see we're here right now but we're also there we're seated with him Bible says, him that overcomes, will I make to sit with me as I overcame and sat there with my father on his throne. Christ is in you. You're in him. Right here now, he's in you. But you're in him. Is that correct? The Bible says we have bold access to the throne room by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? We are seated with him by, by rebirth but we can choose experientially by the blood of Jesus to enter into the throne room, into the place of eternal dominion, to transact spiritual business with him in the place of universal dominion. And that's been the thing that God in my own life has done. He's challenged me again and again. Go out into the mountains not to pray. I go up to the mountains as often as I can. This time of the year, I'll start getting out for three or four hours a day. Just get out into a place called Mount Macedon and uh, 
couple of years ago, I took three months and took five hours a day just up in the mountain, crying out to God, some days seven hours, just seeking the face of God, just seeking Him. But when I go there or up into the Flinders Ranges, I've been out there many times for 20 days as fasting and praying and in the Word. And I was not saying that to build myself up or, or, or to boast in any way, but that the most powerful, significant times of my life are going out there and I find about 50 k's out of where I go on the Flinders Ranges, I feel Jesus get in the car and we transact business. And I say, God, I'm not, I'm not here for prayer. I'm here to step into the throne room. I'm here to come in. I don't want to be a person of token prayer. I don't want to be a person who just prays token prayer. I want to be a person of throne room prayer who comes into your, into your presence to take hold of everything that's here, to step into this place of dominion and, and, and grow into the place I'm supposed to be under your anointing. You ever thought when we spend time in the throne room, we catch what's in there? Ever studied the throne room? It's the place of universal dominion. It's the place where the Father turned to the Son and said, let's make a universe. It's a place so holy if I'm going into the throne room, I tell you what I'm not taking in. I'm not taking a can of beer in one hand and a cigar in the other. I'm going into a place where I have need of nothing but Him and His presence. I don't need those stuff anymore. I want it near me. That's my choice. But I want to go into his presence. The Bible says it's so holy that the seraphim, the burning ones, fly around with six wings, shielding their eyes because I don't think they can look on the glory that's so bright. And they cover their feet because I wonder if they're able to step foot down into the river of liquid fire that flows out, according to Daniel, from the throne. It's a place of lightnings and thunderings. And when we spend time in there, we wait on God. It's a place of the voice of power, the word of strength, the guidance in the prophetic. It's a place where we catch His power. It's the place where something changes, where we catch that fire. We grow in holiness. We grow in an understanding of the fire of God. John G. Lake would, would come out of those seasons and pray for people, Lord cancer out by the lightning fires of God. I think we catch those lightning fires when we go into the presence of God. I want to challenge at the start of this year, this coming year, to go into this year and say, God, 2020, my prayer life is going to go from token prayer to throne room prayer. I'm going to go from short prayer to going in and transacting business with the eternal God of the universe. Token prayer insults the God of the universe. Little scant, itsy bitsy prayer. God bless mummy, God bless daddy, and God bless the cat. I want to transact business. Because what I transact in there is going to be outworked here. I'm going to step into dominion. And my life is going to be one where I'm operating from a place of rulership. 
as you and I have been born to rule, to have dominion in our family, to have dominion in our finances, to have dominion in our work, to have dominion in our bodies. And I've preached long enough, so let's bow in prayer just for a moment. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. You and I are born to rule and reign in life by one Christ Jesus. In Revelation, I think it's chapter 5, he says, He's made us kings and priests under God, and we shall reign on the earth. Do a study of rulership and reigning in Christ. Do a study of kingly dominion, your kingly dominion. Do a study over these, these next few weeks of the throne room. Go into Ezekiel. Go into Daniel. Go into Revelation and do a study of the throne room and get an idea of the awesomeness of the throne room into which we've been invited to come. And we can come in there tangibly, physically, or spiritually anyway. We can choose. We are there by our rebirth and who we are in Christ. But we can choose to spend time in there by the blood of Jesus by choice. And most Christians will probably go through their whole life really choosing to actually enter deeply and strongly into that place of universal dominion.